Welcome back to The Way of Love, a show about following Jesus and changing the world. I'm Kyle Oliver, and I'm here with Sandy Millian. Thanks, Kyle. Well, we hope you enjoyed our last episode with the Reverend Dr. William Barber. This week, we're bringing you the next conversation from our big Rooted in Jesus live show. Today, we're welcoming back to The Way of Love, the very Reverend Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas. You've gotten to know Dean Douglas from previous bonus episodes where she was interviewing Bishop Curry. When we had her on the show in Atlanta, they got to flip those roles around. So we got to hear how she came to be the first Black dean of an Episcopal seminary. That's right. So enjoy the conversation and be sure to tune in next time to hear our live audience playing Stump Bishop Curry. You won't want to miss it. Dean Douglas, we want to welcome you to The Way of Love, and it's good to be with you. And so you're going to treat me with The Way of Love. I'm going to, that's right. <laughs> that's right. My name is Michael Curry, not Mike Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Bishop uh, Curry, it's such a joy it is. to be here in conversation. We go way back to we when we were, in a, we were in a sub- clergy support group many, many years ago. Right. It's good to be with you. Well, tell us a little bit about not just what you're doing now, but why are you dean? of an Episcopal school at Union Seminary. Why are you doing that? Yeah, all of those things, right? Dean, Episcopal, at Union just seems so contrary. And then me, a black woman. And then you, a black woman. You are black. Right. They can't, the podcast, they can't see. <laughs> they can't but you see are. that. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, the, which is more a statement about our church and our world and our culture than it is about me that in 2017, I would become the first black dean in the history of Episcopal seminaries. That's right. Right? That's that a statement. True. You're right. Right. Yeah. And so that's the statement of our church. Uh-huh. I think the way in which our church needs to begin to look seriously mm-hmm. at the ways in which we indeed are church and are not church, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And because I often say, uh, because I believe it is so, that to claim that we are church is an aspirational claim, ah, uh, okay. right? It's, it's not a fact. Uh-huh. Uh, and so we have to always ask ourselves, what are the things that keep us from being church? But you asked how I got there. Yeah. At, um, so how far back do you want me to I want to go all the way back. <laughs> Push it back. All the way back. Yeah, because what, what we really want to know is where did Kelly Brown Douglas, the theologian, the prophetic spokesperson, yeah. where did this person come from? Goodness, we want to know about your roots. Yeah. <laughs> and if anyone told me years ago mm-hmm. and not even so long ago that I would be here, I would tell them they were crazy. Mm-hmm. But I think of really two, two things for me that shaped me uh, since I was a little girl. And you may have heard me tell these stories before. One, I was born and raised in Dayton, Ohio. Dayton was and still is a very segregated city. Uh, When I was in Dayton and growing up, if you said the west side of Dayton, you were talking about where black people lived. Uh And everything else in Dayton was white people, was black, white, segregated and wasn't a very diverse city. Uh, So that in anywhere black people moved, suddenly it became the west side, even if it was far on the east side. They were suddenly talking about the west side because black people lived there. But you had to go for uh, what it was worth through the inner city of Dayton, quote unquote, to get to downtown Dayton. We lived, as a matter of fact, in the first uh, 
professional neighborhood we just found out uh, built for black people uh, in that area. And so we were going, I remember it was a rainy, cold evening. And I was in the car with my parents. And I was sitting in the back of the seat looking out the window. I was seven or eight years old, no more than eight. And we're driving downtown. And we stop at a stoplight. And I remember looking out the window. And I saw two little kids, a little boy and a little girl. And in my seven, eight-year-old mind, they were brother and sister. And they were clearly not dressed for the cold, rainy weather. They looked poor. And I remember crying. And I made a vow to myself. I said, I'm going to come back and get those kids. Now, as a seven or eight-year-old, I imagined that they would grow up. I mean, that I would grow up, rather, and they would stay young, and I could right. come back and get them. Right? Of course. <laughs> and my, my first vision was to go back as a school teacher and uh, oh, yeah. then yeah. thought I could get them that way. Of course, as I got older, my view of going back and getting them in such a direct way changed, but this is what never changed. I held myself, and I continue to, accountable to those kids. Mm. And so I was on a journey mm -hmm. to figure out how to go back and get those kids. Now, there, on the other hand, I love church. Mm -hmm. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. Now, I was a cradle Episcopalian. Yeah. My, my parents were not, but they came Episcopalian when they moved to Dayton, Ohio. And as the neighborhood was being built, they said that the only pastor that came to the neighborhood was an Episcopal priest. His name was Father Cochran. Father Cochran? So imagine, yes. you, yeah. there were times when we didn't mind knocking on doors and talking about Jesus as yeah. Episcopalian. Father right? Cochran did, too. He did. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, he was a black Episcopalian. Made, yeah. made a difference. Right. Yeah. Uh, so he did. And so my parents went to his church, which wasn't too far from mm. our home. And so they became Episcopalian. So I was born and raised Episcopalian. And I loved the church. And I would go every Sunday. And even if my parents weren't going, I would wake them up and ask them to take me. And I'd go wow. to the 8 o'clock service. I'd go to Sunday school and I'd stay for the, I think then it was 11 o'clock service. I'd stay for that service. I would often say I was in church for two services. And other people look at me and say, Episcopalian, I was home by noon. Wasn't a great sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> but because <laughs> I love sports too, so I we went we went to get for the game. What drew me to church, beyond the fact that I I really liked Father Cochran, was the stories that I would hear about Jesus, and that story which would make me cry, always was the story of Jesus born in a manger, right. Mm. Uh, you say, poor little Jesus oh, boy, born, born in, a in a manger world, treat him so mean, treat me so mean too. Mm -hmm. But what I could not in my young mind imagine was how anybody would let a little baby be born in a manger. Mm. And I would cry when we would even sing that song, Away in yeah. a Manger. Now, this was, I didn't even know what a theologian was really until I started studying uh, with Dr. Cohn and read his book. But at that young age, 
I knew there was a connection yeah. between yeah. Jesus and that manger mm-hmm. and those little children that right. I saw right. come across the street. Right. And I held those two things together. You know, for a while, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I saw some show uh-huh. on TV called Storefront Lawyers, and I said oh, yeah, I would be yeah, a storefront yeah. lawyer. But to move further, I got to college, uh-huh. and I was a psych major, and I said, okay, maybe there's something black psychology I can do. And Alvin so, Poussaint. Right. Al, that's days, right. right. That's exactly right, right. Alvin Poussaint. And I said, okay, okay. You're older than you look, because remember Alvin Poussaint. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm as old as you. I know. That's, that's what I know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we, we go a long we go way back. Way back. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but with Alvin Poussaint, Black yeah. Sky, remember all that? Yeah. All right? So I said, that's what I'm going to do. But when I got to college, I went to Denison University in Granville, Ohio. And I began, you know, in college, you're growing into yourself and finding your voice and finding your way and all of that. And and we had all kind of sort of racial skirmishes going on on mm-hmm. college, but uh, not to speak of the world in which we were living in, you know, yeah. in college in the 70s. And so I there was this, I was in this moment of existential crisis mm. because I said, all right, if the church doesn't have anything to do with my blackness, mm. then I am willing and quite ready to give up the church. Because mm. I wasn't going to give up my blackness. Right. 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 And at that moment, the college chaplain, his name was David Woodard, he's still at Denison, he recognized for some reason my angst. And he gave me Jim Cohn's book. Never, I had never heard of theology, never heard of Jim Cohn, none oh. of that. Wasn't a religion major. This was my junior year of college. Right. He gave me Jim Cohn's book, A Black Theology of Liberation. Uh-huh. For whatever reason, I went home for a week that weekend. Oh, my Lord. And I took that book, and I read that book in a weekend, not once, but twice. And I said, either something's wrong with the book, or something's wrong with the white man who gave it to me. Because that book was talking about, right, that God is black and that whiteness is of the Antichrist. I said, Lord, have mercy. But Father Cox didn't tell you he that. He didn't tell me that. No. Dayton. no, no, no. But what it let me know was that, because I questioned whether I could be black and Christian. Mm-hmm. I. That book let me know that to be black was to be Christian. To be Christian was to be black. That book took me back to my grandmother's faith. Mm. And that book took me back to those kids coming across the street in Dayton. And that book took me back to Jesus. Uh Oh, okay. And so that's how I got, that's how I got here. You have been a fearless spokesperson. You have a habit of telling truth. Well, I don't know. I just <laughs> yeah, you make people squirm. I've seen them. <laughs> I've seen you preach, and sometimes they shout, and sometimes they hide underneath the pew. <laughs> Why do you do that? <laughs> you knew I had to get you something. I mean, <laughs> you said you were gonna be nice. It's, damn. it's a spiritual gift. Why do you do it? <laughs> well, I don't know, but uh, thank you for that. 
You know what? First of all, I should say that this is one of the most to even make the claim hmm. that I am a priest, that I preach, that e it's humbling. Yeah. Yeah. Very humbling. Hmm. Here's the thing I know that if I'm going to mess up and make a mistake, because hmm. I'm, sure. I'm not always right, none of us are, but I'm going to mess up on the side of inclusion. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to mess up and err on the side of saying that everybody that has breath or has ever had breath is a sacred child of God yeah. until someone shows me otherwise. And I haven't seen mm. anyone show me otherwise. Mm. And that means they deserve to be treated as such. And so my theological challenges I move through is to someone show me someone who's not a child of God. Mm. Until they do that, and right. that means everybody has breath is a child of God. So I just want to include everybody. Yeah. And here's the other thing I mm. believe, Bishop Curry. You know, of course, Martin Luther King Jr. said that the arc of the universe bends toward justice. Mm -hmm. And it does, because that justice is the truth that is God's just future for us all. Mm. And we have to all be on that arc some way, somehow, mm -hmm. right? Because to be a part of a faith community, by definition, by definition, we are not a community that should be accountable to the status quo. Mm. By definition, we are accountable to God's just future. And that means that you have to move through this world, as I say, trying to be a sanctuary mm. and a witness. And a, witness. a sanctuary means that there should ever, ever, never be anybody that is in the space in which I am that uh -huh. doesn't feel safe. Yes. That doesn't feel welcome. Yes. That doesn't feel affirmed. That's yes. what it means to be a sanctuary. To be a witness uh -huh. means not only to witness against, sometimes it's easy to witness against something, yes. right? Yes. And we have to do that. We've got sure. to call out injustice when we see it. We've got to call out those places that don't look like God's mm -hmm. just future when we see it. Got to call it out even when it's in the church. We have to call it out, but we also have to witness for. Mm -hmm. And to witness for is to embody uh, those very values that we claim that God, in fact, tells us are part of God's just future. So that's all I just try mm. to do in my humble way. And, 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 and then I have to say this, and you've heard me say this. There's just a lot that sort of drives me and... My great-grandmother, her name was Mama Mary, was born into slavery. She lived to be a little over 100. And when I think of Mama Mary, I think of those people who were born into slavery, died in slavery, never, ever, ever breathed a free breath, and never, ever dreamt that they would breathe a free breath. But they fought for freedom anyhow. Mm. Mm -hmm. And they fought for freedom because they believed in the freedom that was the justice of God. Yeah. And because they fought for that freedom, you and I are sitting here. Right. 
And so I can do no less. I am accountable to God's just future, which makes me accountable to them. Mm. That's why I do what I do. All right. I got one last question before we wrap up. And it's the Tina Turner question. (laughs) What's love? What's love? What's love got to do with that? Well, the easy answer is everything, absolutely Mm. everything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. When I think of love and the love Mm. that is Jesus, first of all, love manifests itself. God's love manifests itself always is justice. Yes. And what's that justice Mm. look like that makes it love? And it really is about that which was just talking about, and that's this, that love means that you aren't motivated because you hate somebody. Love means that you aren't motivated to gain the privileges of an unloving, unjust system. Uh You are motivated because you love God's promise for a just future and you love the Lord, Mm. right? And so you function out of a love for justice as opposed to a hate for those who benefit from injustice. I don't want the privilege of whiteness. Mm. I want indeed to have a future where the first are last and the last are first, not because there is a reversal of fortunes, but because the first are last and the last are first. Mm. You can't tell the difference because they are all treated as the sacred children of gods that they are, Mm. period. Mm. That to me, if you don't do anything else, Love means never withholding from another that which you would not want withheld from yourself. Do you want to feel safe when you walk down the street? Anybody want to feel safe? Don't withhold that from another. Do you want to feel respected for who you are and who God created you to be? Mm. Then don't withhold that from another. Do you want to be free to live into the fullness of your created being? Mm -hmm. Then don't withhold that from another. Let's just get basic. Mm. Do you want enough food to eat? Do you want a decent roof over your head? Do you Mm. want health care? Do you want to be able to migrate across borders, because we've all migrated across borders, so that you can make a better life for yourself yes. and for your family. Yes. If you say yes to any of those things, yes. don't withhold it from another. That's the love mm. that is the justice of God's just future. Amen. 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 As Rabbi Hillel said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is the law and the prophets. 
All else is commentary. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Dean Kelly Brown Douglas, thank you, my sister. Thank, <laughs> thank you, my you. brother. <laughs>you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and would especially love it if you rate and review it or share it with a friend. If you'd like to contribute music, a prayer or feedback, write us at wayoflove@episcopalchurch.org. You're invited to join thousands of Episcopalians, neighbors, and friends this summer at the Love Always Revival at the KFC Yum Center in Louisville, Kentucky. On Saturday, June 22nd, get immersed in inspiring worship and community, deepen your love for God, kick off the 81st General Convention, and extend a warm welcome to folks discovering the Episcopal Church. The revival is free to attend, so bring your friends. If you're from a neighboring diocese, check in with your diocesan revival champion to find out about group travel options. You can find more information along with registration at iam.ec lovealways.